interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good morning, Lincoln. You're listening to Friendly Fire on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. This is Dan Alberts. I'm substituting in for Dr. Pastor Stu Kearns. I hope he and his wife are out having, uh, I think they're on vacation. I'm hoping they're having a relaxing, great time. I'm here today. I'm excited to always substitute pinch it in for Pastor Stu. I'm always excited to have a guest in studio that that can help us have insight, talk about tough subjects um, that are, uh, we often disagree about. So the idea about friendly fire is that we can disagree on subjects without being disagreeable. And I hope to do that today. I have a, in studio with me is a neighbor of mine, lives one block behind us in the East Campus, University of Nebraska East Campus neighborhood. Her name is Danielle Conrad. Danielle was a past Nebraska senator she and her husband Tom have two children, and they're great parents, so I know they think life is precious. I watch how they take care of their young children. Danielle's now running again for District uh, 46 state legislature, and she just resigned uh, from the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU. And uh, most of you will know a little bit about the ACLU. They've got uh, it's a it's sort of a liberal bent organization that tries to protect the s- civil liberties of uh, of all citizens of the United States and and today we're specifically going to talk about uh, pr- the preciousness of life how do we protect life knowing that we have a lot of disagreement about uh, um, the latest court decision that we got a little glimpse of about a month ago from the Supreme Court that says we're going to that they're going to reverse a decision that was made in 1973, Roe versus Wade, which is all about whether abortion, whether abortion the, the, is a civil liberty, is a right protected by the Constitution. In 1973, the court said it was. It appears that the Supreme Court now is going to say that it is not a protected right, not from the federal government, but it will become something that states can decide. Now, is that going to be, is that a good decision? If that's the way we go, would it be better that the states decide such decisions? Um, would that protect more life? Will there be more fetuses, unborn children that be that become born children? Will there be less abortions, or will there be more abortions, or will it have anything to do with it? If 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 states like Nebraska and other states decide to make the the opportunity to or the option to have an abortion. The right of a female, where, which it is now, whether that uh, can be as protected uh, as it has been for almost 50 years. So that's what we're here to discuss. Danielle Conrad is a state is going to be running for the state legislature. She's been in it before. Um, she was the CEO of Nebraska American Civil Liberties ACLU, and she's in studio with me. And we're going to discuss, start with Roe versus Wade, and then let her talk about how she would approach this if she was in the state legislature. So, welcome, Daniel Conrad. Give our listeners um, some of your the background that 
put you here in my sure. mind as an expert on this topic? Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm originally from Seward County, but I've been here in Lincoln since 1995 to attend the university, like so many young people um, come to our capital city for. I got my degree in political science, and then I attended the University of Nebraska College of Law. And really just, of course, fell in love with Lincoln and decided to start my career and my family here. So I worked um, on a lot of campaigns and elections over the years for other candidates. I um, worked as a staff attorney at Nebraska Appleseed, helping develop their policy program around economic justice and working families issues. And then when term limits came to the Nebraska legislature, I threw my hat in the ring. Uh, Senator Landis had served our district admirably for decades, and um, it was a real honor to, to have a chance to run and to serve um, for eight years in the Nebraska legislature. I spent my eight years on the Appropriations Committee writing the, the budget um, and dealing with all those multifaceted areas of public policy. And then I also um, spent a great deal of time over those eight years um, working on some of the most complex and controversial issues in our political landscape, such as reproductive rights or criminal justice reform, for example. Um, that was definitely a, a good and experience that informed my work as a civil rights attorney at ACLU for the last eight years. And some of those experiences, including as the experiences I have as a parent, um, really compelled me to to come off the sidelines and get back involved in electoral politics because I'm very concerned about the direction our state is headed in. And I think now more than ever, we need experienced leaders who can bring the temperature down. We need a lot less tweeting and a lot more listening to each other. And as I talk to voters and I talk to stakeholders across the political spectrum and across the state, and especially coming off that really toxic governor's race, I think Nebraskans are, are ready for a different course. And we want to get back to who we are as Nebraskans and what binds us together. And that's having, you know, thoughtful policy discussions. That's having nonpartisan institutions. And that's really requires people who have relationships and experiences in order to bring people together to do that. You know, we, we don't solve problems at home or at our businesses or in our schools by yelling and screaming at each other. So we shouldn't allow that in our politics. And I'm really excited to have the opportunity to bring those experiences, bring that leadership style back to the legislature and try and make a positive difference. Two questions that leads sure. me to is we, um, what got us to this place where we're, what's the main ingredient or two or three of the main ingredients has got us to this place of high division, mm -hmm. almost no conversation from an outside perspective mind. And then what gets us back? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't think there's probably one single factor from my read of it. I think that there's probably um, a lot of different things that contribute to, I think, the divisiveness in our current political dialogue. Um, rise of social media, decline of more traditional what is media social, sources. What does the rise of social media have mm -hmm. to do with it? You know, I think a couple of things. One, it's very, um, I think, well-established that it's, it's um, very quick to spread misinformation. 
um, or disinformation in social media circles. It doesn't have, of course, the same sort of independent fact-checking that a lot of traditional media sources have. So once you get some bad information or malicious information or information out of context up online, it can spread very quickly without context or check and balance or deliberation. Um, but I doesn't think, that require that we all would desire that? <laughs> that's true. No, that's a very good point. Is that and that's a whole other conversation. Has that always about... <laughs> been true or have we changed? Um, I, I think, of course, society is always evolving and changing as are our okay. needs to access information and to really forge connection, which is what social media is about as well. I think, however, it does reinforce more siloed kind of visions of the world by our self-selection in groups we follow, perhaps even the friends that we see or block or unblock on our social media feeds. And we don't have that kind of common source of information and facts to help kind of guide some of these discussions. So I think that's one factor. Um, I think, of course, the, the pandemic was very isolating and um, traumatic for, for everybody in different ways. And I think that anxiety um, and uncertainty and, of course, tragic loss um, also really heightened tensions in our political discussions. And you see that play out with things like pandemic response, for example. Um, and so, I mean, none of this is wholly new, right? We've always no. had robust discussions. So the gossip page of the newspaper was one of the <laughs> first ones turned to, yeah, if there was that, such a page. That's exactly okay. right. And there's always been scurrilous attacks in our politics way back okay. to the Founding Fathers days and carried forward. But it does seem that we're becoming, I think, more entrenched in our, our political viewpoints and camps and less willing to seek out different perspectives and open dialogues and recognize we can absolutely have different ideas about how to solve challenges before us. And that doesn't mean that we have to hate each other, right? Um, I had a really thoughtful legislator, legislative mentor very early in my career that said, I don't care what it is. Find something to work on with all 48 of your other colleagues in the Nebraska legislature, large or small. Find that one thing and then build from there. And I thought that was such sage advice, and I've always really taken it to heart. And I think it really makes a positive difference. So that's, I think, part of the solution as well. Finding common ground with your neighbors, with your family members, even if you disagree politically or they make your blood boil with their social media posts or what have you. Find that, whether it's the kids, whether it's the community, whether it's the issues that you agree on, build on that, open that dialogue, build that trust. And then that really provides, I think, an incredible amount of goodwill and opportunity when the, even the more challenging conversations come forward. You know, Danielle, I hope you uh, get a chance to be on Friendly Fire with the, the host, the normal yeah. host, yeah. Pastor Sue Kearns, because just what you just said what is what he always says mm -hmm. Friendly Fire is about, mm -hmm. is being able to have a conversation, a civil conversation about tough about topics that we care a lot about. Right. Right. And that's what we I'm going to move into as we go, and I, I would love to talk right. to you about the preciousness of life and yes. how we're going to move through all the changes that we that we suspect are coming that's right in our in our legal 
settings as we move forward. And you're listening to Friendly Fire on uh, KLIN 1493.3 on your dial. And this is Dan Alberts, and we will return right after these messages. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil, this is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurtz on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Back on Friendly Fire, just getting started with Daniel Conrad, who's a neighbor of mine. My name's Dan Alberts, by the way. I'm substituting in for Pastor Stu Kearns. Love to pinch hit for Pastor Stu. Um, Danielle is running for the Nebraska Senate? Yes, that's Legislature? Right. Yes, that's right. 49 legislators. You could be one of those 49, right. and you have been before. That's right. Yes. So you're back, and you're a parent. You have yes. two children with your husband, Tom, and your husband is an optometrist. or a, Well, runs a... that's a common misconception. You know, we met in law school, <laughs> okay. and so he, he's, a lawyer he's a lawyer and a business owner, but he owns an optical business. Okay. His dad was an eye doctor, okay. and so he and his brother kind of took over that core okay. business and then expanded it. But we have people tease him frequently. They say, are you an optical lawyer? <laughs> what are you? That's not a thing, I don't think. I don't know. <laughs> now, I do know that he bikes around East Campus oh, yes, significantly on the loop. He does. He does. Yes, he I'll... started very healthy habits in the pandemic <laughs> and dusted off that bike, and that has really carried forward over the last couple of years. So that's been a, a really good thing for him. Yeah. Danielle, your background puts you in – Put you in a great place to know a lot about how we sort of find our way as a community, as a local community, as a state community, and as a national community through this issue that's just recently come back up into the yeah. rotation. How do we protect human life? I mean, we all know about the case Roe versus Wade, 1973, right. was decided that abortion was a fundamental right, right, right protected by the Constitution, right. and now the Supreme Court has said that was a mistake, in essence, that that was not right. what it should have been, and whether that's whether legally that's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would, what Friendly Fire is about is finding what's common that, we, that most that's of right. us believe and agree with, and then discuss how do we protect or take care of what we believe in and move towards that. And then I want to set a foundational convert place here that see if you and I can agree. Um, human life, would you agree that human life is precious? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it I would should, hope everybody could agree. Well, I would that. agree. Yes. I would think. Yes. And it, it should be cared for and protected. Yes. Okay. And the rest of us as a community, whatever method we decide to use, mm -hmm. should should come together integrate to protect that life. Is right. that a fundamental place? Yes, absolutely. I think that's a great place to start in okay. recognizing that that shared value because all, all of these issues, reproductive justice issues, a lot of the other hot button issues in our politics, you know, I think the, the reason they get so hot is because they're they're intertwined with our core values, right? With our ethics, yes. with our humanity, with our our lens that we look at the world with. And those lenses can be, you know, informed by our faith, informed by our education, our personal experiences, our professional experiences. And the reason they're so challenging to talk about and find good solutions to is because they're so deeply held and sincerely held, sincerely yes. held. Um, and I think we need to, to start with a lot more respect 
for each other's sincerely held beliefs in this in these conversations. Would it be would it be also fair if you thought how people would perceive you and your background mm-hmm. that I mean, you've been the CEO of ACLU, mm-hmm. and the, the words, the letters ACLU can become a lightning rod <laughs> sure. for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. So it's, would it be fair if people's impression of you that don't, do not know you, mm-hmm. is it on that bubble, you're on what they would call progressive, liberal, sure. mm-hmm. close to the edge of that mm-hmm. side? Would that be a fair impression? least an impression. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I've dedicated my career to economic justice, um, civil rights, um, worked a lot on public policy issues around progressive issues. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll tell you in, in general, though, whether it's the debate about abortion rights, or whether it's where we line up on the political spectrum, I understand that labels are kind of a shortcut to helping us make sense of the world and understand that context. But I also think that they really um, failed to paint the entire picture, right? right? Because so many of these conversations are nuanced. And so many of the beliefs that we hold... um, actually probably line up at different pinpoints on the political spectrum, I think. You know, I think people might not remember always at first blush when they're thinking about ACLU, for example, you know, as a civil rights, civil liberties organization, we push back against the heavy hand of government and found a lot of common ground um, with friends on the conservative side of the political spectrum who don't want government involvement in a lot of personal individual rights, right? Um, so I, that's very interesting to me, where those political alliances are. Come together. Yes, where they come together and maybe where they seem unlikely, but that's actually where they're most exciting and most powerful. As it relates to um, the law now, mm-hmm. the Supreme Court decision, mm-hmm. and the preciousness of life that we mm-hmm. fundamentally mm-hmm. agree to, what I'd like to discuss with you is what do we do, where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's assume that the Supreme Court does say leave it to the states to make decisions right. about whether they're going to intervene and make abortion illegal. Right. Nebraska would likely do that. Would that be fair if they were given the opportunity? Well, I think it's probably an unanswered question at this point in time. I mean, we have, of course, the leaked opinion from the Supreme Court um, recently. We don't have their final word yet, but that should be forthcoming sometime this this June when they release opinions. Um, So we'll know exactly what the contours of that are very, very soon. Um, And I think, you know, it's it's challenging to predict how Nebraska will proceed for a couple of different reasons. Um, Number one, I think it's important that people remember that Nebraska already has a significant amount of restrictions to abortion access on the books. We're one of, I think, only 17 states that are considered extremely hostile to abortion rights. So that's important to remember just in general, that the legal framework in Nebraska is already very restrictive. We're not starting from zero here, right? Um, The other thing I think is, makes it challenging to make a prediction about is we have, you know, an everly, an ever increasingly conservative legislature, um, according to a lot of different reports. And even this very last year with a very conservative legislature, 
um, they failed to adopt three additional abortion restrictions, um, including one that was, I think, very extreme. Um, it was called a trigger ban, so to speak, is kind of the policy wonk legalese kind of description of it. But I think why it's considered extreme, because when you look at the actual language, it's not just about restricting abortion care, but it actually brings into question a lot of other issues like access to family planning services, birth control, the availability to pursue IVF for families who um, are having trouble conceiving and want to start a family very badly. And so because of the breadth of that proposal um, and in some aspects the vagueness of that proposal, it really was a bridge too far for many Nebraskans who I think would very clearly identify as pro-life or anti-abortion, but we're concerned about those unintended consequences. So it, there's a lot of chatter in political circles, in the media, that that's the proposal that we would see in a special session if the Supreme Court does provide that, that opening for states to take more action. And I think if we see a mirrored introduction of that, that very broad, very vague measure, um, I think it will be hard to pass in the short term because the legislature hasn't changed in any way yet. Um, what that means for 2022, I think, is an open question as well. Okay. When we return on Friendly Fire, uh, I'm going to start with this question or my, this perception of mine. Uh, if someone asked me, I would say I am Politically, I'm pro-choice. Mm -hmm. I'm also pro-life. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so what I want to ask you when we return, Daniel, is whether those two things, mm -hmm. first of all, are they contrasting? See, we always say pro-choice pro or pro-life right. as if, in my mind, they're not con as big right. of a contrast. Right. You know, the opposite of pro-life would be pro-death, I guess, and I don't <laughs> right. think that's, that's certainly right. not my view. Right. So... So I, what I want to see is, is there, in your mind, is there a way to bridge mm -hmm. being both pro-life, preciousness of life, parenting, you, you're a parent of two, I'm a parent of two, yes. I adore my daughters, I'm yes. sure like you do. Is there a way to bridge that in a way that, that uh, Pastor Stu, as an example, could mm -hmm. go into his congregation and said, mm -hmm. the initiatives we're taking will protect life better? Mm -hmm. So that's what I want to ask okay. you when we return on Friendly Fire on 1400 KLIN 99.3 FM. We'll be right back. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1499.3 KLIN. This is Dan Alberts substituting for Pastor Stu Kearns on Friendly Fire Get, warm up your coffee and sit back and listen. And if you don't get a, and if you're, you're on right now but have to go to the store right now, remember you can listen to Friendly Fire, Finishing Friendly Fire on a podcast. Just to go to klin.com and you'll find the Friendly Fire podcasts. And uh, today, if you want to listen to this, this portion of Friendly Fire, we're talking to Daniel Conrad and we're, Daniel, we're, just getting into this place yeah. where I want to ask you this this fundamental, in my mind, a fundamental question, something I hold myself out to be. Mm -hmm. And if you say it to most people, they'll say, oh, you're just, 
equivocating because ah. I'll say I'm pro-choice and I'm also pro-life. And mm -hmm. part of my art, part of my reasoning is, mm -hmm. is it it isn't clear to me that if we built if we had a law that said no abortions for mm -hmm. any reason, let's say that was the world right. that we chose because we want to protect life. Mm -hmm. I'm not clear in my own mind that that would protect life hardly at all. In fact, I think there's a strong argument to be made that if I really want to protect life, it would be and wanted more unborn babies to become babies that are born and have a chance to live mm -hmm. that I might want pro-choice. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. to protect, to enhance how that choice is made by more people. Right. I think there's some evidence to say that actually leads to more babies being born yes. and having a chance to live successfully. Mm -hmm. That's right. But there's this bridge out there that seems that we're on. There's a potential for a bridge between those two ideas. Yes. That I want to see if you can discuss how that might get, how we might build that bridge between groups of people that right. strongly disagree right now. Right. So how would Absolutely. you start that process? Well, I mean, I, I think a couple of things. One, it's it's grounded in the research and the public opinion polling in Nebraska and nationally and our shared experiences, our, our um, uh, personal perspectives. You know, when you talk to your friends and neighbors and colleagues about these hot button issues, if you can, <laughs> if yeah. you can talk to them, and we should talk to each other about these tough issues. Um, I think there's a lot of Nebraskans, a lot of Americans who are really conflicted about these issues and who find and understand that there's this isn't binary. It isn't black and white. There's a lot of gray and there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of middle ground. Um, I think you can look at experiences we've had in Nebraska, for example, where you see this play out in really interesting ways. You might remember years ago there was a very hot button issue about whether or not um, undocumented um, Nebraskans should be able to receive prenatal care. Yes. And actually it was a very, again, interesting um, alliance of senators across the political spectrum that some were coming to it from their deeply held beliefs regarding their pro-life values. Some were coming at it from their belief in reproductive justice that we should support all women and all choices. Um, and it, the Nebraska actually came down on the side of saying, yes, prenatal care for more people is a good thing. It honors the preciousness of life. It honors the agency of people who want to become parents, very much so, and who need um, the support to get vitamins and checkups and all of those things that help people have healthy families and healthy pregnancies and healthy birth experiences. Yeah, whether those people, whether they were going to continue to live in Nebraska That's or right. be returned to That's right. their homeland. That's Either exactly way, right. That's exactly right. It's a life. Right. It's a life. Same thing played out when we had, um, you know, a, a very significant inflection point in our state's discussion about capital punishment, right? And you saw conservative senators like Senator Laura Epke, Senator Colby Coash, join together with progressive senators like Senator Ernie Chambers and others um, to repeal the death penalty for very different reasons. They came to those conclusions, but they came to the same conclusion, um, honoring their individual faith 
um, perspectives, their political perspectives, their personal perspectives, and they repealed the death penalty. Now, Nebraska voters reinstated it through a referendum, but I think that that shows how much nuance and how much conflict each of us holds um, in these really challenging conversations and endeavors. And then adding in the layers of exactly where you started, Dan, what is the proper role of government in really um, picking winners and losers in those debates that are so personal and so informed by our faith, right? Um, and I think one thing that always struck me in listening to faith leaders come and testify before the legislature in years past, they would say something to the effect of, our goal is not to make abortion cr criminal. Our, our goal is to make abortion unthinkable. Now, that's a very different goal than yes. what we've seen introduced in Nebraska yes. and other states more recently that has significant felony penalties um, for doctors, for healthcare professionals, and perhaps even more broadly for others who may be assisting um, women seeking abortion care. There's typically a carve out for um, basically like um, an immunity or an affirmative defense for the women themselves. But we've also seen some pretty scary examples in other jurisdictions where that doesn't always play, play out either. Um, so when you think about these really significant criminal penalties for Nebraska healthcare providers, there was doctor after doctor after doctor who testified and came to the Nebraska legislature this year and said, I need to make split second sometimes life and death decisions to protect the preciousness of my patient's life, right? If there's an emergency situation or an eptopic pregnancy um, or something of that nature, I may need to terminate a pregnancy um, to save a life, right? Uh, and those Re those are those are real situations that play out in hospitals and doctors' offices across um, Nebraska and across the country, and that's why painting with such a broad brush um, and such a, I think, overly broad kind of prescriptive policy solution to these really challenging issues is just it doesn't align with where Nebraskans are. Um, Nebraskans want, I think, government to stay out of our private lives. I think they want to um, acknowledge each person's autonomy and dignity and privacy in carrying out these most sometimes very intimate decisions about when and how to become a parent, which is one of the most important decisions we make in our lives. Any parent can tell you that, right? Yes. I know you believe that. Yes. I believe that. Um, and really what it comes down to is that once a woman decides to terminate a pregnancy, and they come to those decisions for lots of different reasons, medical, economic, personal, um, once that decision's been made, I believe it's not the role of the government to shame or judge that person. I believe it's the role of the government to make sure access to care is safe um, and that doctors are not chilled in their ability to provide that kind of in many instances, compassionate care. Um, and then to make those split-second decisions right. without fear of that's right. what the repercussions could be. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I know as a parent and having <laughs> had two pregnancies and two very positive birth experiences at the very wonderful healthcare 
options we have here in Lincoln. Um, scary things can happen very, very quickly in the delivery room, and I would not want my doctor to hesitate um, to be able to follow their medical judgment. And they are trained with medical ethics, medical experience, medical training, knowledge, um, to be in the best positions to make those decisions. Not politicians. Um, I just don't think politicians are in the best position to make those life and death decisions um, for our neighbors. I think that they have to provide some latitude for real experiences that happen. You would agree, though, not if it's though, you would agree, would you not, that it is government's role to protect, to make life safe? <clears throat> yes, absolutely. Okay. And when we return, Danielle. Absolutely. Knowing that that's, you believe in the preciousness of life, and yes. you also realize that government's main role is to keep us safe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you to put yourself on the legislative floor. Okay. <laughs> okay. And you're in the debate uh, when, about making abortion more restrictive or sure. not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you're talking to your colleagues. That's right. Um, let's, um, prepare your, prepare your speech. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We'll I'll do that when we return okay. on okay. Friendly Fire. <laughs> Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Back with Friendly Fire. This is uh, Dan Alberts, pinch hitting for Pastor Stu Kearns. I will be back next week and uh, on the show, and I'm really looking forward. I, I'm going to get one of the owners of the mill. Kind of the mills spread all over Lincoln, and then it's also I had here. It's heading to Omaha. Oh, so if you ever exciting. been at the mill and see Dan and Tamara Sloan, the owners, um, going to have Tamara next next week and discuss how you build businesses like this. So, but cool. right now I've asked. Uh, our guest today, Daniel Conrad, to, assuming you, you're you on the legislative floor, you're mm -hmm. running for the Nebraska mm -hmm. Senate, and, you're, and the bill up mm -hmm. is to restrict abortion, and assuming that the mm -hmm. Supreme Court comes out with a leaked decision, that becomes right. their decision. And, and you're talking to your colleagues mm -hmm. with all you know about all of these mm -hmm. issues, mm -hmm. and you want to build bridges with them. Yeah. Tell us what you think you what, – what, speak to them sure absolutely well i i think that the first thing is is that again we got to turn down the temperature and we got to listen to each other and we have to be respectful of different viewpoints right um and i think right where you left things dan is 100 percent right whether it's the shared values of the preciousness of life or the shared values of safety right and recognizing that those don't cut in any one particular direction um but i think it's absolutely um, true that we all want safe safe conditions for our families, for our community, right? That's at the heart of so many of these really hot-button debates um, and why why they matter so much because it does come down to, to personal family and community safety. But what I, I would start with is just, just exactly some of the things that we've been talking about already. Um, I would be, of course, respectful of different points of view and how my colleagues came to those points of view. But I would ask them to keep an equally open heart and mind as I share some of the perspectives from my legal training, 
as a parent, as a civil rights attorney, um, and informed by what Nebraska voters, Nebraska doctors are really telling us, is that we need to really utilize our um, empathy, our um, consideration for different circumstances, and we need to recognize that regardless of the contours of the criminal code for regulating abortion care in Nebraska, there has been abortion in the world pre-Roe and post-Roe. And whatever the Supreme Court says this June, there will continue to be abortion. The question for me is whether or not that's safe. And that's safe for everybody involved, including um, the woman or the parent or the person seeking um, abortion care. Uh, because it's important to know maternal mortality rates are very high um, in the United States, much higher than in, in many of um, our kind of sister or peer countries. We have some of the most significant disparities in maternal health. Um, you mean be between race? Absolutely. Absolutely. Between race and between socioeconomic mm. conditions and rural versus urban kind of splits as well. Um, and so it's, it's really important we take all of that information into account when we're talking about this. And I'd ask people, of course, their vote is going to be informed by their personal beliefs, but I'd ask them to also recognize that we all don't think the same way, right? And when we're governing on behalf of the good of the state and its people, we have to do the most good for the most Nebraskans. And we shouldn't pass a law that is so restrictive that it really pushes abortion care out of reach for Nebraskans who need it. Because all that's going to do is to fall hardest on communities of color, young people, poor women, and rural women. Um, women who have means will, will have the means to travel out of state to um, access care in a state that's more friendly to abortion rights. Um, I think we will also have a, a, a negative impact in our ability to recruit and retain top medical talent. In Nebraska and those conversations are already happening um, because it's a very slippery slope it's not just of course abortion care when we're looking at the bills that have been proposed it also has questions for family planning for birth control um, for IVF treatments and and I think that those um, kinds of consequences are very real and very scary and much broader than maybe some people would think when they think of the two sides of the coin, mm -hmm. right, on pro-life or pro-choice. Um, it's, it's not that simple. It's simply not. We have to approach each other with empathy, and we have to approach, um, I think we have to give respect and trust to women to know what is right for them and their families in consultation with their doctors. That's where the decision should lie, not with politicians. Um, we already have a lot of restrictions on the book, books and I think we should instead work to find common ground on supporting families and living our family values whether that's access to prenatal care whether that's access to child care whether that's ensuring school kids can be safe when they go to school from things like gun violence for example right that honors the preciousness of life as well so there's a lot of common ground I think between us if we allow ourselves um, the freedom to be liberated away from this binary debate. And, and we really, 
really need to take down the temperature, recognize the nuance, and recognize that once a person decides to, to make this decision, the role of government is not to shame them or judge them. Three things, Danielle. One, it sounds to me like you think this issue is much more comprehensive than pro. pro I do. Right, so I that's do. one. Yeah. Um, second, uh, you seem to confirm my belief that you can be both yes. value life yes. and be thinking that I might allow breadth of decisions as it relates to abortion yes. or not. Would that be true? And yes. the third, and you started with this when we were chatting offline, is <laughs> you're an optimist that this stuff can, this kind of yes. conversations can yes, occur. I am. And are you? Would you be confident in your colleagues if you join the legislature that you can have these conversations? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I am an optimist. It's 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 who I am at my core. I don't know. Being a Nebraska farm kid, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's yeah. part of it coming from, from rural. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm, be clear about that, but grew up in rural yeah, um, Seward County. Yeah, exactly. And being a parent, I think, is yeah. um, a very optimistic thing as well. You always want a better tomorrow for your family and everybody's family, right? Um, I think it's who I am, and I think it's also helpful in a political dynamic um, to find that common ground, to see the best in each of my colleagues, even if we have significant disagreements. And I'll tell you why I'm very hopeful about being able to turn down the temperature and have these conversations in Nebraska. You need to tell me in about 10 seconds. We've done it. Our Unicam <laughs> allows us to do it. But um, it, it takes effort and it takes experience. And an individual senator in Nebraska in tone, content, substance, and strategy can have more of an impact here than almost any other state in the country. Thank you, Neil Conrad. <laughs> this is Dan Albertson. Every week, as Pastor Stu Kearns always says, think about it, talk about it, and we'll see you next week.